Please take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 50, we'll be reading together verses 4 through 11. If you are just visiting with us for the first time this morning, we have been in the middle of a a short mini-series on the servant songs from Isaiah. Isaiah 42, 49, 50, and then as we see next week, 53. And Isaiah 61 uh, sometimes is, sometimes is not considered by scholars one of the, the servant songs, and yet it so clearly as well. Uh, speak to it, speaks to us of Jesus Christ, our anointed King and Savior. And so we will uh, be preaching that also the first Sunday of the new year. Now hear God's word as we rejoice in Jesus Christ, our servant. Isaiah writes, The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. I gave my back to those who strike, and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting The Lord God helps me, therefore I have not been disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Behold, all of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Behold, all you who kindle a fire, who equip yourselves with burning torches, walk by the light of your fire and by the torches that you have kindled. This you shall have for my hand. You shall lie down in torment." Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray and ask him to help us as we study his word. Father, we thank you for these beautiful prophecies that foretell the coming of your son, the servant of you, O Lord, our servant, the one who gave himself for our sins, the one who made himself of no reputation, who emptied himself, taking the form of of a bondservant who would die on the cross. Lord Jesus, we love you and we thank you for your gospel, for the glorious good news that is our comfort, that sustains us in the midst of our weariness. Lord, we pray that you would draw near to your people this day and by your spirit, would you take this word, would you work it deep into our hearts, Lord, that we might be at rest, that we might have peace in you. We pray this in your holy name, amen. Out of all the rich carols that have been written about the incarnation of Jesus Christ, I'm sure that you have your favorites. And I imagine that there are certain verses or lines or even phrases in some of these hymns that have a special significance for you that may affect you in a deep way. Perhaps it's a song that you've sung year after year, but then one day you sing it or you hear it sung and something sticks out to you, something that you cannot forget, something that you remember often. 
One of the lines like that for me is from a hymn that's not in many, if any, hymnals that we don't often sing congregationally, uh, the hymn, O Holy Night. You remember this line in the first verse, a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. I love that line, the weary world. We've all known weariness, haven't we? Perhaps you know it even this morning. There is a weariness of the body, a weariness that that comes after a long day of work or even of play when we are so tired that we can barely put one foot in front of another. We can barely eat. We can barely keep our eyes open. But other times, it's a weariness of soul that we feel, isn't it? A weariness of soul, a, a tiredness that comes from being a fallen image bearer living in the midst of other fallen image bearers. It's a fatigue that comes from living in a fallen world, a fatigue that comes from from being sinners, who have to deal with our own self-induced misery and sorrow, but who live around other sinners, who sin against us or who sin around us. And we have to deal with their sin and, and the sorrow that they bring into our lives. The world is broken. It seems to fight against us at every turn. This is the weariness of which that hymn, O Holy Night, speaks, isn't it? Because you remember how it talks just before that of the weariness of a world that long lay in sin and error, pining, pining, longing for rest, hungering for relief, craving refreshment and peace. Now, unfortunately, the world seeks for rest and peace and hope and refreshment and, and, and the relief for weariness. It seeks it in all manner of idols, broken cisterns that can never satisfy. But true rest and true relief from sin and from misery are exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ has come into this world to bring to all those who were given to him by his Father before the foundation of the world. When Jesus appeared and the soul felt its worth, as the hymn says, in spite of our sinfulness, in spite of our misery, knowing that we are those made in the image of God, beloved by God before the foundation of the world, there is indeed a thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices. And in our text this morning, we have a balm for the weary, that we have truth that meets us where we are, perhaps even this morning. Isaiah in this passage foretells the new and the glorious morn that yonder breaks, as the hymn says, when Jesus the servant appears with healing in his wings, bringing the thrill of hope to a people who are weak and wounded, sick and sore. In this text, the servant himself is speaking, and he tells us three things about himself that come to us and bring us relief in the midst of of our weariness. First, he tells us that he is a student who sustains. Secondly, he tells us that he is the sinless one who suffers. And third, he tells us that he is the Lord's spokesman who separates. All three of these things speak peace to our weary souls. Let's look at them together this morning as we prepare to come to the Lord's table. First, I want you to see that Jesus is the student who sustains. You see in verse four that the servant begins to speak. He's not actually identified, is he, until verse 10. And yet from this autobiographical perspective in these verses, as well as the content of this passage, 
we know that it is indeed the servant, the Lord Jesus Christ speaking. And notice that he begins by identifying himself with those who are taught, or we might translate it as the disciples, the pupils, the learners, the students. Jesus is saying that he is a student in the Lord God's academy. Morning by morning, the Lord awakens him and awakens his ear to hear like those who are taught, like a disciple, as someone who is being schooled in the will of God, the truth of God. Now this verse, we must see, does indeed describe our Lord Jesus Christ. You have to recognize this. Before and while he himself had disciples, he was a disciple. As a true human, just like us, as his human body grew and developed, so his human mind had to, to learn and study and grow in his knowledge of God's word. Remember what Luke chapter 2, verse 52 tells us, that, that Jesus increased, he grew in wisdom. We've confessed it this morning, haven't we, in our confession of faith. Two whole, perfect and distinct natures, the Godhead and the manhood, are inseparably joined together in one person without conversion, without composition, without confusion. This is the mystery of the incarnation, what the church historically has called the hypostatic union, two natures coming together in one person forever. Now, we must be careful that we not confuse these two natures, the humanity and the divinity. We must not imagine that uh, Jesus' human nature takes on divine traits in and of itself, or as if his humanity and his deity combine to form a third thing. No, he is one person who has forever two natures. As the divine son, he is omniscient, omnipresent, he is omnipotent. But in his human nature, he is also limited and time and space and even knowledge. This is a mystery, isn't it? Just as our human minds grow and, and learn, so did Jesus's human mind. He was a willing and a ready and a faithful disciple spending time each morning listening to God in the scriptures, communicating with his heavenly father in prayer he learned God's word from his parents. He learned God's word as he studied and, and heard it taught in the synagogue. Now, what did Jesus do with this study and this listening to God? How did he use the knowledge that he gained from his time with the Lord in the word? Well, this text tells us, doesn't it? In verse 4, it says that he spoke to others what he had learned for himself. Specifically, it tells us that he spoke a sustaining word of comfort and grace to the weary. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Jesus listened before he spoke. And once he had heard, he spoke. He spoke words to the weary to sustain and to strengthen the weak. Remember in Isaiah 42, we read of the bruised reed. We read of the dimly burning wick, how Jesus doesn't break the bruised reed. He doesn't extinguish and put out the dimly burning wick. Well, that same theme is here, Jesus speaking a word to him who is weary. If you've ever read the Gospels, and I hope that you have numerous times, then you know and you remember the conversations that Jesus has that bring comfort and truth 
to those who are under the burden of sin and misery. You think of his word of forgiveness to the sinful woman at Simon the Pharisee's house in Luke 7, or the word of comfort that he gave to the widow of Nain in Luke 7 as well, or to Mary and Martha at the grave of Lazarus in John chapter 11. You remember that gentle word of rebuke that he gave to the Samaritan woman in John 4. His call in Matthew 10 to fear not because we are of more value than many sparrows. Or in Matthew 11 when he invites us to come to him, we who are heavy laden, that we might find rest for our souls. Jesus is the student who sustains the weary. And even now, though the God-man has been exalted on high, he continues to sustain you who are weary with a word. And how does he do it? Well, he does it with his word, with the scriptures, the Bible. He speaks by his spirit. If you are one of his disciples this morning, then you hear his sustaining word in your weariness. Every time you read the scriptures day by day, morning by morning, And indeed, isn't the quiet of the morning usually the best time for us to hear and to have no distraction, right? Put your phone away and look and listen and read God's word, spend time with him before you hear the the word of other humans, the word of the world that, that so easily comes in and crashes around us. By morning, by morning, just like our Savior, we are to hear the word. We are to read and meditate upon the truth that our weary souls might be refreshed and sustained. We hear the word every time we gather on the Sabbath day to hear it proclaimed like you're doing even now, morning and evening. You hear the word when you study it together with your brothers and sisters in Bible studies. You hear this word for the weary when you are in conversation with other believers. When someone speaks to you a word that sustains you a word usually from the scriptures of encouragement. Because here's the thing, we've mentioned this, we've seen this over the last couple of weeks, but there is this reality that we must never forget as we study these servant songs, that we ourselves, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are servants in the true servant of the Lord. As we are taught, as our ear is awakened to hear, then we too, each one of us who belongs to the Lord, we too have the opportunity and the responsibility to sustain the weary with a word. What does Paul say in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14? He says, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak. Just like the servant in Isaiah 50, we too are to know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. I love 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 3 and 4, when Paul says that the God of all comfort comforts us in all of our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we have been comforted by God. When the Lord Jesus sustains you with a word from his word in the midst of your weariness, you are to be a student. You too are called to sustain others. In union with Jesus, the servant, we are disciples. We are those who are called to sustain the weary with the word. So Jesus is the student who sustains, but he is also the sinless one who suffers. Last week we noticed, didn't we, in 
Isaiah chapter 48, verse 8, that Israel's ear had not been opened to God's word to walk in his ways. But the true servant, as we read here, didn't just have awakened ears, he also had open ears. You see it there. Not only verse 4, morning by morning, he awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught, but verse 5, the Lord God has opened my ear and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. Every morning, Jesus awoke to hear how can I walk in obedience. He was not resistant to God's will. He was not hesitant to do what God demanded of him. But notice his obedience didn't merely consist in in keeping the law of God perfectly so that he could say what he says there in verse 9, who will declare me guilty? There's nothing that I've done that has violated any command of God. But Jesus' obedience also consisted in being obedient unto suffering. And we see that here, don't we? Obeying the Father's will that he would endure mental and physical abuse. Jesus suffered, the text tells us, willingly, intentionally. He, verse 6, gave his back to those who strike, his cheeks to those who pull out the beard. He hid not his face from disgrace and spitting. As each servant song goes along with each successive hymn, the depiction of Jesus' suffering, his rejection by man becomes clearer and clearer. Back in chapter 42, we read of, of Jesus, the servant, being in crushing and disheartening circumstances. In chapter 49, verse 7, we heard that Jesus would be despised and abhorred by men. And now we see that his enemy's hatred would take violent physical and psychological form. But Jesus obeyed. Jesus obeyed by running toward the suffering, running into suffering like courageous soldiers on a battlefield, like first responders on 9-11, running toward the sin and the misery. Jesus, the text tells us, yielded voluntarily to being beaten like a criminal by the judicial flogging. He, he gave his back to those who strike He gave his face to having his beard pulled out. Some of you have a beard, and you know that would not feel good, right? But it's not merely the torture, the pain that that flowed from a a malicious heart. But in in that culture, it was the disgrace, the shame. You remember the story in the Old Testament where uh, David's men, right, half of their beard is cut off. And and he says, you know, you stay over there by yourself until your beard grows back because we get it how embarrassing this is. There's shame, there is disgrace. And of course, the disgrace of being spit upon. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. The humiliation of being spat on. Jesus willingly endures it. He suffers resolutely, resolved, determined to suffer. But he also suffers confidently because he knows that he is the sinless one. And as the sinless one, he knows that his suffering was not because he was guilty, not because he had done anything deserving of suffering. He suffers sinlessly, both in the sense that his actions did not deserve or merit suffering, but also that in the midst of his suffering, he did not repay evil for evil. He sinlessly suffered in response to those who caused his suffering. And therefore, he could suffer confidently. 
He entrusted himself to God through all of his suffering, the text tells us. He knew that the Lord was his help. The Lord was helping him. The Lord would help him. His foes would be confounded. The Lord God would not abandon him, but would vindicate him. Look at verse 7. But the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Jesus could fix his face like a hard rock, leaning into the wind of suffering because he knew the Lord was with him to help him. You remember perhaps in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, which is the literary turning point of Luke's gospel, when Luke tells us that when the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, it says he set his face to go to Jerusalem. He set his face. He fixed his face. Luke is echoing this passage here in Isaiah 50. He set his face like flint into the winds of suffering. Luke is showing Jesus' determination to do the will of God by suffering, even the suffering that led to the cross. Jesus knew that those who spoke words against him, who beat him, who harmed him, who spit on him, Jesus knew that they would not get the final word. Indeed, their words would fall flat in the courtroom of eternal justice. Again, verse seven through nine, he who vindicates me, or verse eight and nine, he who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. That is before the judge. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Behold, all of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. Do you hear the confidence in these words? Jesus knew that that God would vindicate him. That word vindicate is the Hebrew word that can also be translated to justify, to declare to be in the right, to declare to be righteous. Jesus suffered judicially, even to the point of death on the cross. He was declared guilty by the Jews and by the Romans and suffered the ignominious death of crucifixion. But his earthly condemnation was not the final word. As Paul tells us in 1 Timothy 3, verse 16, he was vindicated in the Spirit. He was justified by the Spirit. The resurrection was the Father's vindication of his Son. In the resurrection, the Father was declaring that Jesus was not guilty. He did not deserve to die for any sins that he had done. But rather, as we will see in more detail next week from Isaiah 53, Jesus was suffering because others were guilty. He was dying for the sins of his people. That's what we celebrate as we come to the table this morning, that Jesus suffered as the sinless one in our place as sinners Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus bore our sins in his body on the tree. And if you trust in Jesus this morning, then because Jesus could say, who will declare me guilty? You can say the same thing as we read in Romans 8 this morning. Who will bring any charge against God's elect? Jesus is the one who has died, who has risen from the dead who has ascended on high. He is interceding 
even now for us. As the glorified servant son, we are justified in the justified one, in the vindicated one. Jesus, the vindicated servant, he is our righteousness. He is the one who has sinlessly suffered for our salvation because of our sins. So no matter what you've done this morning, no matter what you've thought, no matter what you've said, no matter how you've acted, if you are trusting in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation, then these words are your words. You are free from the wrath of God. From your sins and fears, you have been released, says Jesus. You have nothing to fear. For there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Is there any sweeter word for the weary, the weary of sin and misery, than these words to know that Jesus has been vindicated and therefore in him I too am justified. I am vindicated. I am guiltless. I am innocent because Jesus is innocent and I am connected to him in union with him, joined to him. Jesus is the student who sustains. He is the sinless one who suffers. And finally, this text tells us that Jesus is the Lord's spokesman who separates. In verses 9 and 10, it, it appears that the servant stops speaking and Isaiah the prophet picks up the pen once more. He gives a fitting conclusion to this servant's song. Notice that he sets the Lord God, Yahweh, and his servant in the closest of relationships, fearing the Lord and obeying the voice of the Lord's servant are parallel expressions. To fear God is to obey the voice of his servant. For the servant speaks what? The words of the Lord. But verses 10 and 11 tell us that the servant is a spokesman who separates. He divides. Isaiah tells us here that there are two responses that we can have to Jesus' words. We can either obey his voice or we can reject his word. If you follow him this morning, if you are relying on him as your righteousness, as your only hope, and, and therefore you are seeking to live out that righteousness in your life, you are seeking to obey his voice, then Isaiah gives you a word of comfort in the midst of your weariness. Even if you walk in darkness and have no light, even if you are going through the most soul-shaking of circumstances and it seems that God has turned his back on you. It seems as if the Lord has forgotten you and abandoned you and hidden his face from you. Yet you must and you can trust in his holy name. You can rely on your God, verse 10 says. He will enable you to persevere and day by day, enabling you to go on fearing and obeying this is a word of exhortation that, that comes to us. Encouragement to strengthen our weary souls. Don't grow weary in well-doing. Even when it seems like God is not there, he is. And how do we know that? Because of this table and all that it points us to. Jesus, who on the cross said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was forsaken so that we might not be abandoned. He was forsaken on the cross. He endured the darkness of that hour on the cross so that we might know that even in the midst of our darkness, even when it seems like we have no light, our God is a God who can be trusted and relied upon. We entrust ourselves to our faithful and creator, 
and doing what is right, even in the midst of darkness, knowing that behind the dark skies, behind the dark clouds, there is a bright blue sky that will one day open up that we might see the glorious lights. There's a word for the weary in verse 10, but there's also a word for the weary in verse 11, though it, it's a, a bit counterintuitive, isn't it? You see, Isaiah tells us in verse 11 that if you reject the Lord's servant, then you ought to beware. Isaiah describes you as one who kindles a fire, who equips yourself with burning torches. And then he calls you to walk by this light that you have manufactured for yourself. It's a confusing verse, but the idea seems to be that instead of trusting in the Lord and in his servant in the midst of darkness, rather you are pridefully trusting in your own do-it-yourself do it remedies, solutions of your own making. You have kindled for yourself a fire to deal with the darkness. You've equipped yourselves with, with burning torches. And what does Isaiah do? He ironically says, well, go ahead then. Walk in the light of your fires but know that you will die in your self-righteousness, in your sin. You will experience eternal torment away from the Lord's goodness. And this doesn't sound much like a word of comfort for the weary, but it is because what it is is a warning. It's a gracious and kind word of warning about a threat that is very real and near. The fact that you are here this morning, if you don't know Jesus and you're hearing verse 11, means that, that today is the day of salvation. It is not too late for you. God is warning through his prophet and through his servant that your end is death and destruction if you persist in refusing to hear the voice of his servant. Now is the day to turn from your sin, to turn from your self-righteousness, to turn to Jesus, the Lord's servant, so that you might be spared the judgment of God. You see, this table not only tells of salvation for those who trust in Jesus, but it also tells of judgment. It points to the cross on which Jesus died. It says the wages of sin is death. This is the day of salvation. You may not have another day and so trust in his blood, trust in his righteousness, obey his voice, repent and believe the gospel. You must see, you must know that there is no neutrality with Jesus. His coming, as we see here, forces every single person to choose. Will you be on his side or will you be against him? Last week we talked about Simeon. And you remember after Simeon quoted Isaiah 49, the text tells us in Luke that he turns to Mary and he says, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. Simeon is saying, this baby who has been born has come into the world to divide and to separate. There will be those who stumble on him, the stumbling stone, and there will be those who build their lives upon him as a foundation stone. Which one are you this morning? Which one will you be? If Jesus is your savior, if he is your substitute, if he is your servant, then there is joy, there is hope, there is peace for you this day. In the midst of your weariness, you can rejoice. He is the thrill of hope appearing 
bringing a word to the weary, bringing comfort and peace and rest. But if you are not trusting in him, if you reject his word, then in the midst of your weariness, there is nothing but fear and dread and the hope of torment. And so we plead with you to come to Christ, put your trust in him. And if you have, then let us come to this table with joy. Let us sit down to feed with him, to feed on him. Jesus Christ is the student who sustains. He is the sinless one who suffers. He is the spokesman who separates. And therefore, in the midst of our weariness, we have peace. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we thank you. We thank you for this word that comes to us. Lord, you know our hearts. You know the frames of our circumstances, our minds. You know, oh Lord, all the different struggles that we're having even this morning, this week, the weeks ahead. Lord, would you draw near to your afflicted saints, to those who belong to you, O Lord, in the midst of their darkness, as they walk in darkness and have no light, would you grant them grace to trust in you? Would you comfort them in the midst of their weariness? O Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the perfect servant and you have served even us. You invite us to sit down so that you might serve us, even here at the table. O Lord, we pray that you would come that you would, again, reveal your goodness to us. Thank you for this passage that so clearly and beautifully depicts who you are. Lord, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.